May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning. Thought I would begin this morning by telling you a story of my sophomore year of high school. Uh, you would probably expect it to be a sports story, but it is not. I was part of my youth group growing up, and part of uh, a side, an activity that the church I grew up in had was youth choir, a really large youth choir, and then within the youth choir, there was a select choir, which you had to try out for, and that was called New Dawn. And of course, I made New Dawn, and my pride was rising high, and so we were given as that select choir our first performance to begin getting ready for. And it was big competition, especially within a church choir of all places, and they, our choir director at that time, wrote a biblical play called Fat, Fat Jehoshaphat, after the life of King Jehoshaphat. And all of us, all 15 that were in that select choir, you know, we set our eyes on the lead role of Fat Fat Jehoshaphat. So the day would come when we would be, we would do our tryouts and then that, that week period would pass and then the big, they would come out with the paper and pin it up on the board and we would look uh, of who, what part that we got and we would be off and rolling from there. And of course, I, my expectation was it was going to be Fat Fat Jehoshaphat Trent Moore right there, lead. And of course, I go to find that is not who won. And my friend Felice Chavez, who actually lives down in Key West, would be the lead that year. And then, well, I start priding my, myself a little and say, well, maybe I got one of the good secondary roles. And I just go down the list, down the list, down the list. And the last role was the general. The general had no solo and no speaking parts, just kind of a backup role, which had a little comic relief. And I, in that moment, my sophomore year, learned sometimes the secondary characters actually teach us more than the lead roles or a life lesson from that. And I wanted to tell you that story this morning to set up what I want to do with the rest of the sermon. We had in Acts 16, we are actually introduced to three characters we don't know a whole lot about. Two of them, we only know their role, but no name. And one of them comes by name. And what I want to do is take the stories of these three minor characters that we only have a snapshot into their lives and show how God has redeemed and restored them. This being the seventh and final Sunday of Easter, as we prepare for the Feast of Pentecost next week, we have been looking at these stories of restoration. And this Sunday comes to an end as this is the last Sunday of the Easter, the liturgical season of Easter. So let us consider these three minor characters that we have and how God has restored them. For in looking at their stories, we can also look at our stories. And it shows us who God is more and more, and it lets us know who we are more and more. So our first of these minor characters is Lydia. We hear in the reading that was read, Acts 16, that 
Paul and Silas have come up to the city of Philippi. They are, Paul is on his second missionary journey. He has crossed over from Asia into Europe, and Philippi is one of his first stops. And there, outside of the gates of the city of Philippi, he comes upon a group of women. And they are praying by the riverside and studying the scripture they had available to them at the time. And here from the group, we hear of a woman named Lydia. Now, Lydia, it sounds like she is doing very, very well for herself. She is a designer in the color purple, either of clothing or altar hangings or art or tapestries or something like that. And it sounds like she has a successful business both in the city of Philippi as well as in the city of Thyatira. These two cities were large port cities, which actually uh, heavily influenced the economy of the region. And she had a successful business and homes in both of these places. It says, if we were to compare that to a modern day, it's as if a successful model uh, person in the modeling industry had a home in New York and London. This is who Lydia is. And we hear along the way she is with this group of women that are devout, religious, moral, upstanding women. So somewhere along the line, this Lydia, with her successful side business and everything going on, she said, I don't see any truth in Roman paganism, and she started learning and listening to the Jewish teachings. And we hear along the line, Paul and Silas come along spreading the gospel to the first time that this region has seen that, and her heart is opened, and she hears it, and it changes, the Holy Spirit falls upon her, and it changes her, the gospel message right there in her tracks. And she invites Paul and Silas into her home and says, whatever you need for this message to be spread, let me help. We see her restored. She is a successful woman who knows a little bit about God, but in that moment, she finds out and starts living into what it is to fully be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Then we have our second very, very different story. The only of our second minor character, the only thing that relates this person to Lydia is that they are both female. But we enter a more dark place as we hear about a slave girl, either by her own uh, stepping into a lifestyle that got taken advantage of, or by her just being born into it, we hear she has an unclean spirit inside. And that because of that unclean spirit, she has the gift of fortune telling. And of course, some Roman masters said, this is a way we can exploit and take advantage of and make some money. So they begin to sell her off in her fortune telling ability. And we hear that she's following Paul and Silas around mocking them. Has anyone ever seen the movie A League of Their Own? You see, this is about when the boys go to war, the ladies play baseball, the, the pastime. And there's a small instance that I, just, that I see in this slave girl that's mocking Paul and Cyrus as they are going about spreading the gospel message. The little 
uh, son of the catcher on that baseball team in that movie is completely annoying. And there's a scene in, there's a scene in the movie where, the, where this little kid, it looks like right below middle school age, is going, you're going to lose. You're to, he's doing that to the coach. And Tom Hanks playing the co- coach gets so annoyed, he picks up a baseball mitt and throws it as hard as he can, hits the kid in the head, shuts him up. That's what... <laughs> That's what Paul does to this slave girl. No baseball mitt, but he turns and says, evil spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of this young girl. And it happens right there as we hear in the text. And she is freed, not only from the demonic spirit that was inside her, but also from the life of that the masters are selling her for that exploitation. She is freed and restored from all of those things. Christ, in the form of the Holy Spirit, steps into a very dark place and restores her, just as in a different scenario he did for Lydia in our first example. And that brings us to our third and final minor character, which we hear about, and that is the Philippian jailer. As you can imagine, with this slave girl, there was some masters making some good coin off of her ability to fortune tell. And now that that has been taken away, they are angry. And they take Paul and Silas before the magistrates, and they can't make this accusation stick of they, they're costing us our livelihood, so they pin it on the Roman and the Jew dilemma. And they say, these Jews are making us Romans think things and believe things that we shouldn't. And of course, Paul and Silas get flogged, and then they get thrown in jail. Enter the Philippian jailer, which we don't know by name. And we hear that he puts Paul and Cyrus at the innermost of a first century Roman prison. This is probably like nothing you could ever imagine, at least in an American prison system. The first century prison would actually start uphill and go downhill towards its innermost parts. And everyone that was part of the prison was shackled and couldn't move. And humans need to do what humans do, and they need to relieve themselves. Guess what's happening? It's all flowing down to who is ever in the innermost part of that prison. Paul and Cyrus are there with all that nastiness coming down upon them just after being flogged. And we hear that they are singing the praises of God. They're not complaining. They're singing God's praises in in a very, very dark situation. And the ears of all the other prisoners begin to hear of this message, these songs of praise that Paul and Silas are singing. And this this Philippian jailer, he, we must know that he loves his job and his identity is wound up in it. And he must have hated the things and the people of God to put Paul and Cyrus in such a place of, of just brokenness and despair and humility. He wanted to break them completely. And yet, what do we hear? There's an earthquake The doors to the prison are swung open and all of the chains fall off of all the prisoners and yet they don't escape. The jailer is so beside himself thinking, oh my gosh, I've let all the prisoners have gone away. He is so embarrassed by that that he gets to the point of grief of wanting to take his own life. And then from the open door of the prison, 
just before he takes his life, the voice of Paul comes out and says, do no harm to yourself. We are all still here. We have not left. The jailer arises and he goes and gets a light and shines it on the, the open door of the prison. And sure enough, he sees all of the prisoners, including Paul and Silas, still there. Holy Spirit hits him and restores him in that moment. And he says, gentlemen, what must I do to be saved? He recognized from the singing of the praises, no complaints, that they are still there to the doors being miraculously open. The restoration and redeeming comes to his life. And he is enlisted now. And as he begins to help Paul and Cyrus, he takes him them into his house. says, let me give you a place to sleep as you go on spreading this powerful message of the gospel. Now I tell you, we consider all of these very different stories of redemption and restoration from Lydia to the slave girl to the Philippian jailer. And I ask you, which one, if any, are you? Lydia, do you find yourself, things are going gangbusters. Your business is doing well. You're not hurting for anything. And you know a little bit about the gospel message. But as Lydia, has the Holy Spirit fallen upon you? And restored you and taken you out of that place of looking to your own success, but fully knowing what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's how Lydia was restored. And I have never been much for the modeling industry like Lydia, but I have been in that place where I was going through the motions, religious motions, and not fully knowing the depth of the gospel of Christ. I have been redeemed in that way. And then we have the dark places. Lydia, being, having a demonic spirit within cast out and then being used for exploitation to make money off of. We, we have heard those stories and some of us have been a part of those stories. Have you found redemption and redeeming and restoration in your life in a similar situation to the slave girl? And what about the jailer? The jailer loving his identity almost to a point of this cruel and unusual punishment being a part of his identity. And yet the Holy Spirit finds him and restores him and offers him his salvation. And it changes his life then and there. Through the Holy Spirit and the gospel, he is given a new life, a new identity, and a new passion. You may think in your head, you know, I have a little bit of all three of those stories in my spiritual and life journey. Or you may not have any of those and you may be searching for, well, where, where do I go with the sermon now? The main point of it all being that all of these stories of restoration, the stories of restoration in our own lives, from when the doctor comes and says, the person that showed up on Friday isn't going to make it on Saturday. From the point where the boss calls you in and says, look, I think we're going to have to go a different way. There are all ways. Every day, God is still stepping in and restoring us all. And the beautiful thing about this that we see, it reveals the, the heart, the redeeming love of Christ through his life, his death, and his resurrection. It points to who our God is, and it shows our part in the story. From within, recognizing, being 
saved and redeemed and restored from the dark places. God steps in, changes us continually, and then we are grafted into his identity, and then we may be called back into dark places to help someone else out. Walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the gospel and what it means for us all. That at once we were all broken, sinful people. And now we are redeemed and restored, and our lives are a mirror of that. That's what we see in the life of these three minor characters. And it's not as if we're reading a text of a newspaper as something we'll forget tomorrow. This is the never-ending story. And it keeps perpetuating itself all for Christ's name's sake. All praise be to our Lord and Savior who made it possible for us all. Amen.